Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Once again, it's so good to be with you all here this morning. Uh, We're starting this new series this month, and it starts all around this All Saints Day sort of day. Today, All Saints Day was on November 1st, but today we celebrate um, that holiday, you might say, that holy day. And it's not just a time where we celebrate, but we also remember and we mourn for all the saints throughout history, but specifically this morning, uh, we remember those saints connected to St. John's who have died this past year, connected to our St. John's family. And we're starting this new series, this sermon series around all saints and into November. It's called Epitaphs. And if you don't know what an epitaph is, let me unpack that a little bit for you. Epe means upon or over in the Greek, and taf is short for taphos, which means tomb. So literally, it means upon a tomb or over a tomb. And an epitaph is an image or a phrase that's written in memory of someone, someone who has died, and that epitaph is inscribed epitaphos, over the tomb. Now, one of our members who is an artist, her name is Denise Weyrick, and she's created an installation. There's a picture of her here. Here's some of the work. You may know Denise. You may have seen her around. And uh, I had a great time talking to her about this art installation on Friday, which she installed, which technically was All Saints Day. And she and a team of artists, here's a picture of them, they uh, installed this uh, piece in a courtyard of our sanctuary, right by our sanctuary, just right behind here. And I pray that you go check it out after the service. There's kind of the completed uh, image of it that she took on Friday. And Denise might be out there. She'd love to talk to you. Uh, and this piece of hers has been 20 years in the making. And if you take a little bit closer uh, shot, you'll see that there are over 400 Uh, original ceramic molds that are combined to sort of create this uh, large memorial for All Saints Day and also to speak and to inform us as we move into this epitaph series. Now, each of these ceramic uh, tablets is a testimony. You could say it's an epitaph that was taken from an actual tombstone. And you see up a little closer, there's, there's images of words and there's images, pictures, And all of these were taken, uh, these molds of these epitaphs were taken from different tombs that uh, Denise had visited on her travels throughout the United States and throughout the world for the past 20 plus years, actually since 1995. And so I strongly encourage you uh, to spend some time, go out there, check it out over the next four weeks. There's little artist statements you can pick up on the way out from the exits. There's also some out there by in the courtyard. And... uh, Actually, it's pretty cool that as we go through this epitaph series for four weeks on um, November 24th, the very last day, uh, Denise is going to invite every one of us, each of our families, to go out there and actually take um, one of the epitaphs home, one of the ceramic molds home, and kind of have it installed into our lives, and that artwork will continue to speak. Uh, But one of the images that you will see, I don't know if you can see it out there if it's buried right now, but it comes off of imprint of this uh, epitaph here. And this is an image of a hand that's coming down, and actually it's supposed to be the image of the hand of God uh, coming down. It's taking a link of a chain, Uh, and it's symbolizing taking one of God's children, one of us, to our eternal dwelling. Uh, From our perspective, however, it's a chain being broken, and someone that's close to us, someone in our lives that we are chained to, that we are linked to, uh, that link has been broken. And from our perspective, it hurts a lot. 
and we notice it. But from their perspective, from above, they're freed from the chains, we could look at it, that hinder us in this broken world. And we're going to watch in just a moment our All Saints video, which we do every year. And perhaps that image of the chain can help give voice to the pain that many of us in the room are feeling because we've lost loved ones so close to us because they've been unlinked from us in an earthly sort of way. But I hope that as you hear our worship leaders singing, they're going to be singing the song, Living Hope. And I want those lyrics to sort of speak to us today about the freedom that these dear saints of ours have found in Jesus. They'll sing these lyrics to say, hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. And as the video is played in just a moment, uh, we're going to enter into sort of a sacred time. I encourage you to reflect. I encourage you to pray. Pray for those around you who are mourning deeply this very morning. Uh, Pray prayers of gratitude for these saints and the blessing they've been in our lives. And perhaps we can think about how we can emulate our lives from theirs.
that's All Saints Day, and uh, every year we remember these saints. Every year we do this, and uh, I truly love that we, we do it. Um, you know, it's necessary because these are our people, our loved ones. And for many of us in the room, we feel that chain being broken so deeply. And I love that we as a church every year, we're saying to everyone that it's okay. Uh, it's okay to grieve and it's okay to be sad because our loved ones have departed and they're not here with us. You see, our, our society and our culture has a hard time dealing with death because our culture at times wants everything to be smiles, everything to be happiness, everything to be unicorns and rainbows and all that sort of stuff. But the human experience pushes back against that and says that's not the whole picture. All Saints Day, every year, it pushes against that picture and it allows us to be real with the grief that is among us. It allows us to have a communal time of solemn remembrance. It allows us to say to those around us who are grieving deeply that that's okay and that we grieve with you. Our gospel reading in the handout gives us permission to do that as well. It says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Our epitaph's uh, installation, it gives us this uh, permission as well. It points us in that direction as well. Each epitaph out there in the courtyard, it's like our video. Each imprint, each name, each image, each picture represents a real person. Our friends, our family, saints in God's kingdom, our loved ones, and especially our saints this past year, our saints, families, and friends are still experiencing real, deep-seated grief. And for some of you in the room, I'm talking 100% directly at you this morning, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. We're remembering your loved ones today. For others of you in the room, you're, you're strong. There's no grief in your life right now. You're in a strength spot. And I pray that you'll be a harbor of strength for those in your life that are grieving and maybe those right around you that might be grieving this very morning. Some of the saints that we've remembered today are old. Some of them are young. Some of them, their death was expected. Some of them was not. Some of them was tragic. Some of it was peaceful. But every single one of them, are missed, loved, and longed for. When I watched the video this past week, my heart was heavy, as it's heavy now, because I grieve for those people who are personally dear to me. And I know that many of you do the same. And All Saints Day has a way of doing that. It has a way of plunging us down deep into the depths of grief, deep into the valley of the shadow of death. And death, perhaps most of all, is that one reality of brokenness in this world that so pointedly reminds us that there is a war being waged among us. In fact, we call our existence here 
We call the church's existence here and now, it's often called the church militant. The church militant because here and now in this world, we are battling. We are waging war against a broken world, against sin and poverty and pride and cancer and disease and injustice and selfishness and greed and natural disasters and depressions and racism and abuse and sexism and classism and all of it. We are battling against it. Inside our hearts, inside our minds, outside there in the world too, we down here, we are at war. We are the church militant. And All Saints Day plunges us down deep into that reality and helps us call it like it is. Not to sugarcoat it, but to say this is the way it is. The book of Revelation does that for us quite well. We read just a moment ago, From Revelation chapter 7. But if you read Revelation chapter 6, and if you read Revelation chapter 8, you're going to see all the church militant stuff that I'm talking about. You're going to see the churches at war. But if you would say that that's the only thing we had, if we only had war, if we only had Revelation chapter 6, and only had Revelation chapter 8, and all of our life was just fighting and brokenness, how miserable and how hopeless that would be. But Revelation chapter 7, right there in the midst, it gives us hope. And while All Saints Day, it might plunge us into a valley of death, All Saints Day also, it shoots us up to the heights, the highest heights of beauty and light and hope and love and eternal perspective. It gives us a picture of the future. It gives us an image of the church, not militant, but triumphant. Revelation chapter 7, it defines for us the reality of all the saints, those who have been unlinked from us this past year. It gives us a picture of the future that we will have with them. In fact, Revelation chapter 7 has often been called a great interlude. A great interlude of comfort and encouragement in the middle of the terror and the horror and the pain and the trauma and the tribulation. If you read the book of Revelation, there are the seven seals in chapter 6 and in chapter 8. And between the sixth seal and the seventh seal comes our text from Revelation chapter 7. It says if God in his narrative understands that at times things can be so unbearable that we're going to need him to bring us up out of the muck, out of the mire to remind us of the big picture, to take us out of the valley and get us up on the mountain and remind us of the future. That's Revelation chapter 7. He's given us a future, a future beyond earthly retirement, a future beyond earthly accomplishment, a future beyond the latest technological innovation, and a future beyond the next story, the next drama, the next movie, the next Netflix binge that only numbs us for a moment. Revelation chapter 7 describes the future, the future for all who confess Jesus as Lord and describes the present reality of all the saints we remember. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude. I love that, a great multitude that no one could count. No one could count it. So many, 
from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the land. It's a picture of racism and ethnocentrism and sexism and classism just completely obliterated. This great multitude, it says they were wearing white robes. They were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and it says they worshiped. They worshiped God. They said, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever, amen. It's a huge, awesome, wonderful picture, countless multitude worshiping from every race, every tribe, every language, everybody worshiping. I mean, just think of the very best worship service you were ever, you ever participated in. Times it by a thousand and that's our eternity. That's our future. Talk about connecting to God in worship. Verse 13, then one of the elders asked me and said, these in white robes, who is me here? This is John. This is St. John. He has this vision. These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I, that's John, answered, sir, you know. And he said this. He said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I love the weird way that sounds, right? Robes washed white in the blood of the Lamb. It doesn't sound possible, but it is. With God, all things are possible. And it's said that they've come out of the tribulation. They've come out of the war. They've come out from being the church militant to becoming the church triumphant. No more battling, no more waging war against the brokenness of this world that's within us and outside of us. No more. Verse 15, John says, Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple, in his tabernacle, in his home. And he who sits on the throne, this phrase is so important, will shelter them with his presence. He will spread his tent over them. I mean, the imagery here, friends, you could trace the imagery all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the scriptures. When you consider that imagery, it's, talk, it's really talking about God dwelling with us, God providing a home for us. There's a, a strong connection and emphasis on family and a, and a close living together that God dwells with them like family. He dwells with them like home, that they've truly found the home that they were created for. And someday we will join them, we will be with them, and we will be with him. And the vision continues in verse 16. It says, never again will they hunger Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat for the lamb. The lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I'd like to invite the band to come up and sing in just a moment, pray, but... What an awesome picture of the future. Every yearning, 
every thirst, every lacking part of our lives that we are waging war against, all of it is satisfied. All of it is fulfilled. All of it is quenched by the lamb who, in such a cool irony, in those, in those verses there, the lamb is actually the shepherd who leads the saints into heaven, into living water, into eternal water. That's a picture of our future. And it's a picture of the existence of our dearly departed saints now. Everything that ever caused a tear has been wiped away, the scriptures say. Pain, disease, war, abuse, addiction, family dysfunction, poverty, theft, injustice, murder, oppression, everything wrong, everything broken in this world, even the tears of grief, all of it undone, erased, eradicated forever. All Saints Day, it has a way of plunging us into the depths of grief into the valley of the shadow of death. But at the same time, it elevates us. It launches us. It shoots us up to the heights of hope and a picture of eternal life filled with real, abundant life. I'd argue that that future reality for us, it guides our lives here and now. It defines our lives here and now. It gives us hope for life here and now. It even shapes the epitaphs. It shapes the words and the images that are placed over our tombs. That we are not just the church militant, but we are also the church triumphant. Triumphant.